In our first episode, I explained that the Pomology Society's mission is to fund and provide volunteer support for strategic, high-impact, concept-stage projects. Today I'm going to start revealing a project I think would have a maximum positive impact and would be the first endeavor that the Pomology Society should support. I call it a truth machine. I've listed it on my website as among those that are the most important projects that I can get off the ground before I die. Are you ready? You've discovered the Pamology Society podcast. Join us on our journey as we explore the maximization of awesomeness, one ray of light at a time. And now, the host of today's episode, the Pamology Society's founder, James Carvin. A truth machine? Really? Yes. I'll explain. I call it the counterchecker. I should start by stating that this is a very emotional time for me. While this broadcast was being prepared, a war broke out between Russia and the Ukraine. I should tell you up front that in my opinion, if the counterchecker had been operating already, as I envision it, that that war would most likely never have taken place. And the words World War III and nuclear war wouldn't be trending in the public discourse right now. Thousands of lives would already have been saved. If you get to know me well, you'll learn that I can be very passionate about things and that I don't like violence. I think violence can almost always be prevented. But I hurt for those who'll suffer from this war. And I should repeat myself, I think the counterchecker could have been vital in preventing all this. Let's look at what the counterchecker is as a platform. It's a fact-checking tool. I emphasize the word machine because unlike the existing fact-checking platforms, it's not an organization so much as it is a system. It's driven by a rigid set of rules. Existing fact-checking organizations generally work for journalistic enterprises. They do research for those enterprises, and they tend to be activists. They're more organizations than they are machines. The advantage of a machine is that it prevents the type of bias that's typical in journalistic organizations. I'm using the word machine sort of loosely here, right? It doesn't have polygraph hookups, obviously. What I'm really going to describe, my truth-telling machine, is a social media platform for researchers to create better fact-checks with. It's a website with an app for Android, iPhone, and for tablets. And it's a gig opportunity for freelance journalists and editors. But they're going to have to be fair and play by the rules. I'm going to call it a truth machine because functionally it's designed to help us figure out what's true and what's not through the mechanism, and it's nothing like anything that you've seen before. Let's talk about that. First, the current art of fact-checking. What's going on in the fact-checking industry, and how is the counter-checker going to utterly change that? Here's a little history. Probably the best-known fact-checking organization is Snopes. Snopes started out looking into urban myths. Was there really a sighting of the Loch Ness Monster? Does Bigfoot really have a family now? Where did those pictures come from? Was Bill Clinton really visited by Martians? You know the sort of thing. Somebody had to check into those stories and see if they were true, right? Snopes was the go-to place to figure stuff like that out. Was that email I just received true? Then one day, politicians got a hold of Snopes, and that created a problem. If Snopes said something that helped the other side's political narrative, presumably... Depending on which side you asked, it wasn't because Snopes was telling the truth any longer. It was because Snopes was politically active and biased itself. If you were a conservative, you were upset that Snopes claimed to be started by Republicans, but really seemed to be working for Hillary Clinton's legal defense team. If you were a progressive, you were wondering why Snopes wasn't exposing systemic racism, gender disparity, and oppression. 
The left thought Snopes was biased to the right. The right thought it was biased to the left. No one trusted it for politics. Before long, Snopes left Facebook and gave its political fact-checking business to a few other organizations approved by the International Fact-Checking Network, known as the IFCN, whose focus was primarily political. You may not be aware, but only IFCN-endorsed fact-checking organizations are utilized by Facebook to block content based on their fact-checks. They use an algorithm, also used by Google, called claim-check review. Google uses the algorithm to place only what it considers factual at the top of search results. It determines what it guesses are trusted sources and authorities. Few people, especially Americans, ever search through page 2 of a search result. That gives the IFCN a great deal of control over what we see and what we hear about. That's a good thing, of course, right? That means misinformation is being suppressed. Misinformation is bad for people, isn't it? Yes, it is. Of course it is. In fact, I believe it's misinformation that led us to the current crisis in Ukraine. And that's just one example. But part of the problem is not just misinformation. It's suppression of critically important facts in favor of one political narrative over another. The current art of fact-checking is part of the problem. For one thing, it's not trusted. It claims to be unbiased, but its bias is measurable. And since it's tied together with big tech, trust in big tech is declining as well. Conservatives in particular are reluctant to believe what fact-checking organizations have to say. The demographics here are quite fascinating, so I'm including some charts and demographic breakdowns on our Pomology blogcast transcript. Women, for instance, tend to trust fact-checks more than men. Respect. But is that trust merited? In July of 2019, a programmer named Scott Cole scraped every fact-check that PolitiFact had ever done since they started business in 2007 and tabulated the scores. Automated web scraping tools help data analysts capture information from web pages that are no longer published or deeply buried. Like most people, Cole assumed he could trust PolitiFact and expected to show that it was unbiased. However, the data he collected showed that Democrats consistently scored higher than Republicans on truth scores. In fact, year after year, Republicans got lower scores and Democrats got higher scores. It wasn't even close, and the difference kept widening. Now, that could mean many things, probably some combination of them. Could mean Republicans really do lie significantly more than Democrats overall, more so now than ever. It could mean PolitiFact is being selective about what it reports. It could mean that PolitiFact itself is being less than honest and fair, consciously or subconsciously, because of the general leanings of its staff and the type of activism I was talking about. And it could be because its editors find that exposing lies sells more newspapers for the Tampa Bay Times and its syndicates. Could be because it gets more attention through those vital and very lucrative claim-check review algorithms that pop up every time someone says something officially incorrect or debatable on social media. It doesn't all have to do with bias. Money's a driver, too. Whereas most companies pay Facebook to advertise, Facebook actually pays PolitiFact, literally millions of dollars, as a content provider. It doesn't matter whether PolitiFact is a nonprofit or that it was recently acquired by the Pointer Institute. It's still a revenue source. Now, somewhere in the midst of all those most likely explanations is the truth, and your opinion about it may be right or wrong. Conservatives look at this reporting and they're not likely to conclude that it's because Republicans lie more than Democrats do. Democrats may well think so, but Republicans definitely wouldn't. The result of all this has been a general decline in how the public perceives the fact-checking business generally. Politics, as usual, is destroying public trust. 
We can't trust fact-checking organizations for a straight story, and we can't trust big tech generally. The second bad thing, I think, will stem from this, and it's already happening. We resort to echo chambers. I'm sure you've heard of an echo chamber before. It's a place where you only hear your own voice. You surround yourself with a community that agrees on certain issues. Anything contrary to the echo chamber's narrative comes from those liars in the other echo chamber over there. Those poor, poor Kool-Aid drinking fools. Those in the one chamber don't venture to the other much at all because it's uncomfortable. It's daring, even painful to do it. It means removing the comfort of acceptance from a group that we may have enjoyed and gained a lot from, maybe even been paid by. It may mean removing an ego-boosting sense of personal pride and self-worth. It may mean we have to face the fact that so much of what we've worked for and spoken about was actually wrong. Let's do a self-evaluation. Do the causes that I associate with serve as a substitute for my own merits and deserving self-respect? Where do I get my sense of self-worth? Is it from the groups I associate myself with? Would I still be able to love myself if I discovered the groups that I've supported have been wrong? There's a lot behind what goes into why we associate with various groups. When these disparate groups have conflicts of ideas, the results can be very dangerous to us as a society. It's the sort of thing that results in riots and insurrections and unnecessary wars that affect millions of lives. As I see it, ignorance of what's going on in opposing echo chambers is at the heart of the problem, and the current state of the art of fact-checking is enforcing the problem rather than solving it, because it hasn't escaped the political motivation that it claims it has. From a conservative's perspective, the system has been rigged, and from what I can see, they have good reason not to trust it. And all they have to do is go to the Pointer Institute's website and see what it takes to get an endorsement from the IFCN. While Duke Reporter Labs now lists over 300 fact-checking organizations worldwide, fact-checking is a huge, emerging business. Make no mistake about that, but there are only 29 IFCN-endorsed fact-checking organizations last I checked. Is this a sort of market consolidation effort or something? Let's think about that. Have you seen how the IFCN endorsement process works? A seven-member panel checks out applying organizations just seven people. And who are those seven people? Well, the two Americans of the seven are Angie Holan of PolitiFact and Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post Fact Checker. Now, if these two happen to identify with the same echo chamber, they only need two other votes from the other five members to approve or disapprove an applicant fact check organization. Almost invariably, they'll build around their own comfort zone, won't they? Given how fact-check authority is used by big tech, these two people wield a lot of power over the information we receive. And the power of suppression only begins there. Once the facts are established by this handful of cherry-picked fact-checking organizations, all quite possibly residing in a single echo chamber, the authority going to the corresponding group narrative is used by groups such as Good Information Incorporated and the Aspen Institute, to work with government intelligence to root out those who disagree. The Aspen Institute's 16-member Commission on Information Disorder is opposed to dialogue with those with counter-narratives. Its justification is given in the lead for its 80-page report, Information Disorder is a Crisis that Exacerbates All Other Crises. Now that's a true statement. Climate change denial makes climate change worse. Pandemic denial makes pandemics worse. Denial of racism makes racism worse. And the list goes on. 
But which echo chamber focuses on those specific issues as part of its political platform? Because that's what the Aspen Institute's concerned with. It's not hard to see which political party is dominant in the control of information here in the world of fact-checking. The result of this is lost trust. But the problem is even worse than that. The Commission doesn't want a discussion. They want to treat those who see things differently as potential threats to national security. They aren't just wrong, they're dangerous. Do you see where this goes? Here's how the conservative who distrusts big tech is going to look at this. They're going to say, the Washington Post and the Tampa Bay Times are left-leaning organizations, as is the Pointer Institute, and they have a long-standing tradition of undermining conservative political causes and candidates through their choice of what they report and how they report it. The fact-checkers merely lend an air of authority to their bias. The way conservatives see it, the whole fact-checking thing is a crafty ruse. It's good marketing, but it's a sham. What conservatives have always suspected, that the media is biased and big tech can't be trusted, is grounded in that basic reality. And now the FBI is involved, profiling them for supporting Donald Trump. And it isn't just a Donald Trump thing. Trump, after all, supplied the Javelin missiles that destroyed the Russian tanks, emboldening the Ukrainians to fight a war that they were ultimately going to lose, resulting in a new Cold War, a worldwide economic crisis, and the misery, starvation, and death of many people, not just in the Ukraine. Now, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, all this could have been prevented if only the powers that be, those controlling those political narratives, were kept in check by a truth machine. A truth machine would provide a certain healthy freedom of speech. It would provide each side of every argument, not just one side or the other. We used to refer to that as a fourth estate. We had three branches of government, and we had something like a fourth branch in a free press. The age of big tech ended free speech, and the fact-check industry served as part of that technical enterprise. Now, you may well believe that the fact-check organizations can be trusted. You may well believe that Glenn Kessler and Angie Holen are truly independent and research fairly. And you may be right, but you'll have to admit that most conservatives wouldn't agree with you. So what if I told you I could fix this? Suppose there was a way to convince conservatives to trust the fact-checks. Let that sprocket on your top hat spin a little bit. What you need is a better truth detection machine one that vets information right in front of them. So that's what I invented. I call it the counterchecker. Instead of just watching things go from bad to worse, I've designed a new platform that doesn't assume truth is all contained in any one echo chamber. It depressurizes each chamber by connecting them with an airlock. Well, that's just a metaphor. No one's trapped inside an echo chamber. What the counterchecker actually does is it addresses an obvious flaw in the way things currently work. So let's look at that. The way fact checks are currently done, some question will come up that helps or hurts a particular political candidate or cause or narrative. For instance, climate change. It's very common for climate change experts to show evidence that proves that climate change denial is wrong. In 2017, for instance, a fact check organization specializing in climate change, climatefeedback.org, was approved by the IFCN having been created for that purpose. The way that it works is that a claim is made suggesting the basis for climate change assumptions is wrong by somebody somewhere. And then that claim is disputed by the organization. 
Typically, this ends the discussion because there's some amount of research data to back up what the organization's expert has said. End of story. There's your fact. The problem with that methodology is that there's no cross-examination. What the counterchecker does differently is it turns fact-checking into a dialogue between researchers that addresses as many points as needed to fully examine a question. Minority and dissenting views are given a voice. The result is that the reader not only hears whether something is right or wrong, but can find out exactly why by searching through the dispute. Now, I need to clarify up front that the voice that dissenters have on this platform is not an opportunity to spout misinformation and get equal airtime. The system is highly sophisticated. If any facts are presented, those telling the truth can refute them on the spot with the evidence that they have. It's not a shouting match. It's a process for checking facts and keeping each side accountable. The counterchecker offers an indisputably objective scoring system. It's based on the number of points that are made and the number of times those points are violated as counted by the dissenting team. So that produces objective scores for articles and there's not even a need for a judge. The scores for the researchers are objective, the scores for the teams of researchers, and the scores for fact-check organizations as a whole are all objectively counted. Now, in the coming episodes, I'll introduce you to some basic epistemology. Epistemology is a philosophical term referring to the study of knowledge. How you know things and what knowledge is both matter when saying whether something is a fact. The counterchecker's scoring system will be designed and tested by philosophers, making the scoring system indisputably fair. You'll like it. The way it's designed, facts are easily searched because repetitive information is systematically discouraged through a system of penalties issued by the opposing researchers and their teams. It's a modification of something that's been called a Hegelian dialectical methodology. When it's married together with smart indexing and topical search, any fact can be looked up with just a few clicks and digging deeper leads to the related disputes easily. Think about it. In the current way of fact-checking, a highly funded organization which is trusted among journalists, but not necessarily by the population as a whole, pays journalists who tend to agree with them ideologically. While that's great for selling news because it targets specific echo chambers who'll pay for whatever comforts them, it's not great for providing just the facts. And it's not great for building trust or uniting a divided country or world. And it can be very dangerous for humanity. If our goal is to determine a common set of facts that we can all agree on, instead of each echo chamber having its own alternative facts, we need a paradigm shift. Claiming to be unbiased is very easy to do, but what measures are in place to ensure it? The counterchecker does this by providing an effective system, a platform, not the researchers. It's a machine. It invites researchers selected by opposing teams of thinkers to hash out their ideas on the platform using its system of rules. It doesn't treat an opposing view as an equivalent view. It checks both the orthodox and unorthodox viewpoint through opposition. Imagine a courtroom only providing a prosecution or only a defense, but no cross-examination. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? So why do we allow that with our fact-checking? Here's how it works. The head of think tank A on an issue and the head of think tank B, political arch enemies, for example, select their own teams of researchers to use the platform and dispute one another's claims. 
The platform itself issues objective scoring criteria. The machine is the only thing we can all admit is indisputably unbiased. No matter what ideological view a person holds, they can't disagree with the inherent fairness of the machine itself. The platform's a machine with rules that apply equally to each side of any dispute. Of course, the counterchecker doesn't have to be limited to politics at all. In fact, in beta testing it with philosophers, the original content is designed to resolve questions like whether Descartes had a soul, or Nietzsche was right that God was dead. Suppose I'm having an argument with a friend about how many planets there are in the galaxy, or whether there really are miracles. What about who's the best NBA player of all time? Teams of experts come in all shapes and sizes. Politics is just one area among many where disagreement abounds. It just happens to be something that hits me emotionally because it affects people's lives. Now, here's another problem, and the reason why I've chosen the philosophical community to help me design the counterchecker. How do you separate opinion from fact? What's the difference between objective and subjective criteria? What about if there are three pieces of evidence for and two against an idea? What do you do then? Have you figured out the truth? One of the other features I like about the counterchecker, having seen the design, having been its designer, is how it separates facts from opinions and beliefs. Another is the way it's designed to resolve disputes on any subject, not just politics. It may come up with the answer I don't know a bit too often for most people's taste, but I suppose that's the price of being fair. And more than just fair, it's designed to be informative. I won't go into the later iterations of the technology here. What's important is that I go into how much it's going to cost to build and why it's the most important thing I could do before I die. I touched on that. We saw the huge effect. If you follow the Pomology Society's blogs and podcasts, you know the truth is what the Pomology Society is built on. It questions everything. Question authority. If we can manage to leave our pride to the side and trust the exploration of truth, admitting it when we find out we've been wrong, then maybe there's hope for us as human beings. We may just get through this division and find solutions for peace. Now, on a more strategic and practical note, if the Pomology Society sponsors the counterchecker, making it possible, then the counterchecker will likely disclose the fact and link back to it. Personally, I think people are very much interested in facts. Every news source certainly is, but so is science, sports, religion, etc. Knowledge is super important to just about everyone. And that means the counterchecker will, in all likelihood, link back to the Pomology Society from just about everywhere. Call it a marketing strategy. It's branding. And maybe next time we need to ask for our money, our name will be more familiar. It'll be easier to do. That's what I meant when in our last episode I spoke of maximizing awesomeness by funding and providing volunteer support for projects one at a time strategically. For me, making a list of things I'd like to do before I die to maximize the world's awesomeness is important, but it has to be achievable. A good strategy will be one that makes each idea build on the last. That's why, of all the projects listed at jamescarbon.com, it's not just the fact that people are dying right now. I think the counterchecker needs to come first because it's strategically advantageous. So back to the truth machine, it stands to reason that if grant monies become available for better journalism and the elimination of disinformation in the coming days, that the counterchecker is the best choice for achieving that goal. An estimated $1.4 million in research and development funding is needed for the project, which is expected to take nine months to complete. So you can expect the Pomology Society to make an appeal in the coming days to those granting organizations. The Pomology Society will begin voting on the first projects it will be funding very shortly. Expect an announcement soon. 
Now before I say goodbye, until next time, let me address one other thing. You may have heard I was planning to ask one of the organizations funded by George Soros for a donation. When it comes to who we can accept funding from, there are certain limits. First, a 501c3 public charity can't accept funds from a political candidate or a political advocacy group. I'm sure you know that. We also have to avoid any conflicts of interest, and there are conflicts of perception to think about as well. Did I really say George Soros? What will conservatives think? They're likely to suppose that if the Pomology Society accepts funds from George Soros or any other source with a history of support for progressive causes, that in some way the society would be beholden to support their viewpoints. That works two ways. Others have suggested that progressives like Soros would never support a platform that permitted objections to progressive facts. The views expressed in the Aspen Commission and Good Information Incorporated might show an objection to two-way communication and might see it as such. I'll address that in episode three, where I want to talk about why freedom, including freedom of speech, is something we need to appreciate for all that it is. In our next episode, I'll talk more about the work of that commission. But I have a question. It's something of a challenge. Why should someone like George Soros object to funding the counterchecker, a vehicle that allows those who probably disagree with him, to have a platform to communicate if he believed his own views would prevail? Why wouldn't he see the platform-only approach as an opportunity to prove he's fairer-minded than he's made out to be? I don't think he would refuse it. I think he would see it as a good solution. He would see it as an opportunity. That's why I like the counterchecker as a truth machine. It doesn't really matter who funds it. It's just a machine. It doesn't have any opinions or agendas. In the end, the public sees both sides of every story, not just one, and they see why certain arguments fail. The conspiracy theories of conservatives are weakened by the facts. On the other hand, if he doesn't fund it, the conservatives might assume it's because he doesn't really care about facts if he can't manipulate and use them to his advantage. I don't think he would do that. So that's that. There's, of course, another aspect of the Soros factor I hadn't mentioned but has been coming up lately. Whenever someone mentions this man's name, certain outlets claim it's anti-Semitic to do that. So I've got to unfortunately clarify for the record that I don't have any particular opinion about Jewish people. I'm familiar with various forms of Judaism. There's a lot about Judaism I appreciate, but I'm not a Jew myself. Now, my personal experience with Jewish people has not been a negative one. Generally, when Jewish people have been around me, it's been the Jewish person calling attention to their Jewishness rather than me. If they weren't wearing a yarmulke or a phylactery, I wouldn't know if a person was Jewish unless they told me. I can't personally remember any time where I ever brought the subject up outside of a discussion of asking questions about religion with someone who seemed to want to talk about it. I don't know whether George Soros is a Jew by heritage only, or whether he's an active believer because I don't know whether I should believe some of the things that I've heard. I've heard he was an atheist, but that may really just mean he's an agnostic. I know more about what he's done as a political activist than I do on his thoughts on religion. So that out of the way, let's suppose I was able to convince an organization like the Aspen Commission, which is working to diminish disinformation, or Good Information Incorporated, which is being funded by Reid Hoffman and George Soros, to support journalistic enterprises that are fact-check-based, to fund the counterchecker. The people behind these enterprises, Katie Couric, Rashad Robinson, and others, 
have publicly opposed equivalency media, that is, media that gives an equal voice to opposition, when fact checks have shown one side is a source of misinformation. Assuming these institutions will work together with big tech to achieve those ends to some extent, I'd have to show that the counterchecker is not just showing balance, it's offering a better process for determining facts, which it is. Indeed, that's the case. So, assuming I succeeded, the problem's not George Soros. It's the question of whether conservatives would participate knowing that George Soros had a hand in funding it. But if the conservatives reject the counterchecker, that's like the horse biting the hand that feeds it, because we're at least allowing them to counter the narratives that have been leveled against them. And not only conservatives, the counterchecker would give the Chinese and the Russians a voice, too. What's the whole story? Two sides in the war. You suppose that one side on a war has nothing to say about why they decided to fight and sacrifice their lives? That's what freedom of speech does. Conservatives might not like that. Neither would progressives. Too bad. Facts are facts, and they can be refuted using the tools that the platform provides. So all that's to say that the platform-only approach is clearly the best approach. A machine is better than an organization. Remains to be seen who will come forward to support it. I just want to do all I can to make sure that the vehicle is available. That's my part. The rest is up to the powers that be. Let's see what they do with it. Next time, I'll talk about freedom, including freedom of speech, why it matters, and how to use it. In later episodes, I'll describe how the process of funding projects works and what it is we hope to do to incubate worthy programs, like the Counterchecker, and like the other programs that are listed at jamescarbon.com. Plus, if you'll submit your own concepts, Maybe we could talk about the things that you think would make the world more awesome, too. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Pemology Society podcast. Transcripts of our podcast may be found at our website at pemology.com. We love it when you share them. Want to dig deeper? Complete our Pemology 101 course. It's free to subscribers, and you just may earn a top hat. If it would be good, it's true.